All right, I'm here with Beth B. She's being nice enough to record this minutes before leaving for the airport to come back to New York for her second retrospective within a year at the Metrograph this time. I was at the MoMA recently. It was awesome. I watched uh, Two Small Bodies, Salvation, uh, a few different shorts you played and you gave a few different talks. It was, it was great. And there's going to be a, now I got the whole, the whole, I don't know, the whole, I got all the passwords this week and I watched your whole catalog and it was, uh, it was cool. I had a lot of stuff I hadn't seen. So I, in the last 48 hours, I've watched like, I don't know, 25 of your, of your works. So, that's frightening. You're still you're still speaking. That's that's a good sign. I hope. I hope. It's yeah. It's a lot of work. I kind of you know you you do work through the years. I, I don't even keep track of it, and I always let go. Like I do something, and I let it go. Right. You know. Okay. It becomes the past. But then these retrospectives, it's suddenly like you know, pulling everything back and seeing it within kind of a short period of time. It's it's kind of uh, like I realized I was reliving a lot of my past and it was kind of exhilarating to see this journey that I've been on. It's pretty wild, 45 years of making films. What are some connections that that, that came to you from that experience? Well, about how deeply I am attracted to disturbing and dark and kind of emotional places in myself and other people. And I think, you know, looking at the older films, they they were always from the late 70s, they were very much in your face, on the attack, aggressive, uh relentless and that was so appropriate for that period of time in regards to the the devastation that surrounded us in new york city a lot of the people who were working at that time but also my own state of mind i was so full of rage and uh just feeling so much of an outsider and also that i could not speak my truth and people often say, like, why are you so angry? Why are you so I don't feel that at all anymore. Like, that's what's so great to see the transformation that I think I have made in myself as a human being, but also in my films. And I, I kind of started to learn that humor and seduction and kind of the beauty of of patience in making films is very important and i feel like i'm i understand that a lot more and i try to bring that to my films and a little bit think of kind of okay this is an audience that doesn't know about this how do i draw them in I don't want to attack anymore, but you know, the, 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 the content, the essence of my work is very tough and people sometimes go, Oh my God. Uh, 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 like the new film, um, glowing 
Evelyn, you know, like people, I, we just showed it in Paris and people were really upset after it because I think it taps into people's own trauma and pain, things they don't want to think about, things they really shut down. And for me, it's really about inviting people to speak their truths, see the unseen, hear the unheard. And I feel like, you know, film has the ability to empower people to look within themselves and actually embrace things that at one time may have been shameful or kind of thing, the hidden secrets. But when you hear someone else sharing them, people have said to me, it gives them in a way permission to embrace their own issues. So, I mean, I, there, I feel like there've been some really beautiful screenings of the films and a more intimate sharing. Well, I'm hearing sort of two things that you're saying there that both resonate for me deeply. One contemporaneously, like I'm 38 years old and I'm interested to know <clears throat> what point in your life and maybe what was going on that, or, or were you even aware where you sort of shifted from this anger to this I, I don't know what you would call it but you know the lessening of, of, of the anger you know whatever whatever you want to classify it as but I, I recognize that I know what you're saying and then and then you know separately I don't know if we you know really need to go deeper on this but like you speak of darkness not necessarily being this horrific you know uh the portrayal of darkness to a lot of people is a negative it means you're angry means you means violence whatever like and i've for, from a very young age and i think a lot of us have just realized no that's not you know portraying things you know the, the spectrum of human emotion does not mean that like you're unhappy or something like that. It might mean you're happier because you're more safe in being able to look at those things so th that's, I think, I don't know, that's something that's just kind of a vanilla living. That's a very like New York versus Los Angeles kind of <laughs> way of looking at things. I don't know. But I, I'm very interested in your arc, like emotionally. Where did you, you self-identify as angry when you were young? Yeah? Oh, yeah. I would, and you know, that go? from the time of my, you know, when I was a little girl, I, you know, I'd be, you know, one of you know if anybody crossed me i would just put my hands on my hips and i would go ha you know like how dare you <laughs> <laughs> and no i'm not going to listen to you and i you know i i came from a really highly dysfunctional family and you know with my father was and you know from vienna patriarch holocaust survivor you know so you know i you know I believe he repressed all that and in some ways took it out on me because I was the child who uh, wouldn't necessarily say yes or do what I was told. I always had a kind of curiosity and I was driven by my own ideas of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And then on the other hand, I had my mother who wanted to be an artist, but you know, and wanted to have her independence, but it was that generation of women who 
they were wives, they were mothers, they took care of everything, and that was it. That was the oh, that was the expectation. And and that was their place. That was they were completely their roles were completely delineated. And my mother, you know, when I was 13, she, you know, was institutionalized. She, you know, was suicidal. She ended up in a mental hospital for a period of time. And then she kind of came back, but then went back. And, you know, it was a really intense emotional time for the entire family. And I think I always, you know, I talk about that because it it really was a pivotal moment in my life. Uh, you know, she really wasn't there, you know, very absent. And my father was there, but he was trying to keep everything together. So it was it was very problematic. And I think one of the greatest uh, informers for me was that we were not, as children, we were not told what was going on because mental illness was full of shame. You hide it. You do not, absolutely do not discuss this. So we weren't told what was going on until she was in the hospital. And even then it was kind of this vague, like at 13, what, you know, what does it even mean? They're yeah. just words. Uh, so, you know, I think that that, I did not consciously understand it, but after I still years, question what that stuff means. Like I look back, I was reading, um, I have right over there, you ever read House of Psychotic Women, the Kayla Janice book? I haven't read it, yeah. It's great, you should, so it's it's about, it's basically an autobiography about like starting with her mother who was similar, sounds similar to your mother, and she does it through movies though. She does it through, the movies she watched in those moments and how the movies interpreted what was going on for her. But I look at those things and, you know, I've, I've, I don't know, personally, like I've unfortunately had some very chaotic experiences with, with, with people close to me, you know, like what you describe and they've, you know, thankfully in 2023, <clears throat> they've revealed themselves to be, you know, there, there's a, there's a cause to it. There's a root to it. There's something happening. It's not just like, oh, this person's crazy. Like, so I don't know. I, I I hear I hear what you're talking about with your mother, and I just I imagine there's something else that was really going on that no one would have been able to articulate to you as a as a child. What it was? Yeah, a, a multitude of things. Which then, in retrospect, you know, I, it wasn't. But it wasn't until uh, I think my mid thirties mm. I started intensive therapy. Then in my 40s, I uh, I started going in uh, to a 12-step program, Al-Anon, yeah. which I promote that. Prom you're not supposed to promote it, but, you know, it changed my life, you know, just, I mean, it's for, it, 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 uh, it helped me to understand, you know, this concept of awareness, acceptance, action, inaction, you know, being aware of myself and not always pointing my finger at the other person. Um, it really helped, you know, with therapy to to talk about things that I had never talked about, to be able to really um, have someone listen to me and also to be aware of my triggers. Oh my gosh. But I am like 
so not angry anymore in my life. You know, I really, um, I know that I have certain reactions as opposed to responses to things. Uh, and I try more to kind of focus on pausing before I react because my reactions are not necessarily positive. But then I also love that whole thing of the positive negative because it is true. Often people see dark places or trauma. Oh my God, it don't, you know, a negative. Uh, you know, I feel like once I embrace and continue to embrace difficult things in my life, it just opens me up so much to be able to feel that there is no negative, positive, some things, it, it, I mean, that's how society catalogs them. You know, the good experiences, the bad experiences, happiness, it, it's just like happiness is fleeting. And when I feel it, I'm just like, ah, just be in this moment to, to really enjoy it. And so I feel like there has been, you know, a transformation in myself, but know it's it's taken many many years and every day i i kind of have to tell myself be here now just be here now i if this is what i have this moment i'm talking to you sean what a pleasure <laughs> like, yes. yeah no it's just um but you know i still have my demons i just have to really be conscious that for me what has helped so much is just making the films that i make and half the time like with two small bodies you know, I didn't know why I was so obsessed with making that film. I just, I read the- the, That's the poster behind you, right? Oh yes, it is. Yeah, yes, okay. with Fred Ward and Susie Amos. I had no idea why I read the play. Someone suggested mm -hmm. it to me. I read the playbook by Neil Bell. And then I was like, I have got to make this film. I made the film. It was just, it was a beautiful uh, dive deep into sort of, the conflict between patriarchy and and the other people on the side other side of it you know the people who 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 basically have to kind of submit to that kind of power that is lorded over them and so you know and yet it, it comes to this beautiful ending where you know the male and female in it come to understand that each of them is not the enemy of the other and this whole, there is a place for acceptance of each other. And there's a beautiful part of the end where they just, they, they dance together and they, it, it, it's just incredible. But also the woman in it, she's accused of killing her two small children. And she's really condemned before she's even goes on trial uh, because, well, she doesn't go on trial, but anyways, because and it's based on the Alice Crimmins case where she actually did go on trial and she ended up in prison for many, many years. And it was like the media just condemned her before her trial. Basically, she, and, and Two Small Bodies is very much based on that. She was divorcing her, her husband. She got a job in a strip joint as a hostess. You know, she represented all the things that mothers do not do so she was the bad mother and you know when i didn't kind of realize how it touched me personally until i was watching it with my mother i showed it to her wow she's still alive living in the bronx 
No, she's not living in the Bronx. She lives in Soho, but you know, she's a very, oh, okay. I'm Apple, that's my mother. She's I'm born Apple, in the Bronx, okay. Ida Applebrook, she's a very famous artist. She's with Hauser and Worth Gallery. You know, she's, she's- Wait, no, I'm talking Alice Crimmins. Oh, Alice Crimmins, okay. Well, very interestingly, my mother was also born in the Bronx. So <laughs> there are all these intersections, but anyways, it wasn't until I watched the film with my mother, I realized, oh my God, this is so much about my mother and I am so much about that child who perhaps could have ended up dead. You know, <laughs> you know it, it just hit me and it hit her because she said, oh my God, I can't believe you've made this film. Yeah. Because there was a lot of autobiography in it and all of my films to a certain extent come out of something I'm trying to work out personally. You know, and I have two new series of short films that are also very much about that. The glowing is, series, and what's the other one? Glowing series. Um, that's, you know, about so far women, I'm focusing on women, but how women transform uh, emotional pain and how they choose to do that. So, very different characters that I'm choosing. And different philosophies of that. As so far, you I've watched Evelyn and Annie. Yes, that. those are the two I've done. I'm hoping to do uh, another one with someone we won't discuss right now because <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to happen. But the other series that I'm working on is um, called Against the Door. Okay. And the original concept came from Jim Coleman, who is a great musician. He's with the band Cop Shoot Cop and Human Impact more recently. Um, and he's been my collaborator in terms of, he com has composed almost all the music for 27 years for my films. And he came up with this concept of near death. And then we kind of transformed it into like, well, how do we trans, like what is the transformation that takes place when we come close to death or come really like right to that edge? And so, we just finished one that is with Vincent Dubois, who is an extra, you know, great musician and performer. And I finished filming it in Paris when I was just there and I finished editing it. And so it's how people, like where do they go emotionally when they've been so close to that edge? And so that's the that's the new and and for me that's an investigation for me in terms of right. just being older and thinking about oh my goodness what is death like what is and as I get older I'm getting closer to that so how do I in a way make this a transformative experience before the time arrives right. <laughs> does that make sense Yeah totally I understand <laughs> Well, it's better to figure it out now. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I've always thought that, you know, I, as you're talking, I think about like my, my high school girlfriend and she was like the dark girl, the angry girl. Like she was, she was this like rich kid who was pissed off all the time. And everyone felt her like impenetrable like just just cold and and standoffish 
and I mean, I knew her. We did. We I was with her for three years. I, I got to know her very, very well. None of that was was real. You know, that was all. So whatever this, you know, you speak of this anger, and like I would not describe that person having known her as angry. Everyone else did, but when I actually got to know her, she was. This was a self-defense mechanism this was a wall that she put up that was yeah i mean i just i just wrote that down anger equals wall yeah it's a it's shield a, right she's just she she you could maybe maybe i would call her you know she's she's dissatisfied she's maybe even mad i i wouldn't really even go that far though she's just like scared and dissatisfied and she doesn't feel safe at home she doesn't feel it's safe at school she doesn't have her, she hasn't found her thing yet. You know, her, you found movies, you know, you found the moving image and, and the written word um, and, and arguably, you know, music. Um, she, she didn't have that. And therefore, I, I think she walked around, you know, with a wall up that, that that's it. But it wasn't, I don't know. I think that people, it's sort of the same thing with the dark and light, you know, the like portraying darkness in art means that you're this like, you know, messed up person or whatever. Like she's just th th that someone looks at her and sees her behavior and says, oh, she's crazy or oh, she's pissed off. And like it, it's a weird thing in society. You know, it's it, it, that is a dark thing in society that someone looks at that and re, and, and computes in their head. L like to me, that computes that there's you know it's um there's a Jewish concept of um of uh what's it called uh the the uh, prickly pear. Um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Um, Soft in the inside, spiky yeah. on the outside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Overly <laughs> sensitive. Right. Uh, it's interesting because there I've always had an attraction to uh you know addicts, alcoholics, dysfunction, all of that. Yeah. And in some ways it was a comfortable place for me because I always thought, oh, well, I'm the functional one. I can save them, I can change them, I can, you know, I can take care of them. And it has taken, and I it was like a chemical reaction. I could choose out of a room of 200 people, I could choose the one who was homeless, addicted, riding a motorcycle, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it was. And so, you know, I had to look at my own part in that kind of attraction that I wanted to, you know, change and save people, fix them. And of course, that dates back to my childhood. That was my that was my role. You know, I think we all have these roles as children within our family structure. And then we keep replaying that cycle, that cycle, that that role over and over again. And a lot of my films are about that, breaking that cycle of violence, abuse, emotional repression, trauma, like break it. And so, but I had to learn, it took me many years. And I think that the, uh, the relationship, cause I, you know, from when I was young, you know, I was like, carrying my boyfriend who was so drunk, he was like projectile vomiting all over the place. I was like a young teenager. <laughs> That's what I was attracted to. Yeah, I couldn't save my mother. I can save somebody else, you know? So, um, you know, it was- I was, I, I totally share that, like that girlfriend that I'm referring to, she had an alcohol problem. <laughs> like, there you go. You know, uh, like love her still, but uh, 
she was yeah she was all over the place that was a bad yeah. thing for us yeah. yeah and it wasn't until sort of one relationship that was when i was in my i guess mid-30s it brought me to my knees i was like i was like okay i i i gotta figure out why i keep repeating this over and over again and uh you know it was like very clear it was time to leave this relationship but you know what i couldn't because it was so familiar it was oddly so disturbing yet comfortable because it was the kind of dynamics that i grew up with in my family and you know when you find that in someone it's hard to leave it's really weird there's replaying and so you know what i feel incredibly grateful for today is that you know i have created sort of my family of choice you know i've been with one beautiful person who just is extraordinarily supportive of who i am they're not trying to take me down so many relationships I was in, you know, the person was attracted to me for my strength, for my creativity, for being a powerful woman. And then they wanted to take me down. You know, it was, it was that power struggle that so much of my work is about sex, power, and money. But Why, in a competitive way, like they, they didn't want your work to be bigger than theirs or absolutely, or even for me, like to be independent independent functional you know like totally and so like because they resent your ability to do that and their inability to do that or, or what do you see it as i can't psychoanalyze I'm, I'm, honestly, that. I'm asking <laughs> like very genuinely like not even as an interviewer kind of as yeah. a person who encounters these circumstances and i'm talking to someone who i think knows more than me well like, i don't know if i know more than you you know i just try to figure it out as I'm going like, but you know, it's, there's a I real, there's a dynamic in, in, in each coupling, you know, there's a dynamic. People are kind of looking for a certain thing, and even though they don't maybe know it, but our bodies and our souls, what's in our bodies and our experiences from how we grow up, um, we're looking to, I think, I was always looking to repeat that because that's what I knew family was, or that's what I thought family was. And it's just taken so long, you know, to realize that I, I had to make a list of what I wanted. I had to make a list of like, like I keep saying, well, you know, why doesn't it work? Why doesn't it work? And I was like, oh, because I'm being attracted to things that don't work for me. And I don't want to be in a power relationship. I mean, that's the, you know, in, for many years, that's the way I knew how to be in a relationship. Start an argument. I'm right. You're wrong. Who a lot, you know, and, and chaos. Cause that's how I grew up. But at a certain point I was like, I don't want that. But when I finally had that one person, that person who I kept saying, well, this is the kind of, I might have my list when they were in front of me. I could not see it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see it. I'm not going to, it's too long a story as to how it ended up kind of coming to be that I've been with this person for 20, almost 28 years, uh, because they, like, when I tried to fight with them, they were like, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. And that called me on my shit. I had to step back, look at myself. 
So it has to do with looking at myself. It's not even about the other person. Looking at what am I attracted to? Why am I attracted to that? Why do I want that? I don't want it anymore. So once I firmly say, I do not want to go into that thing again, into, I don't want to go into the monster again, that started, you know, I had to, I had to look at myself. I, you know, in whatever it is I'm attracted to, whatever situation I get triggered with, I'm half of, I'm half, you know, a dance, it takes two to dance. Right. Now you can dance and cooperate with each other and kind of make it this beautiful experience, or you can try to push and control and the other person's pushing and controlling. You're never going to be able to dance together. So I had to let go of some of that. I still am really controlling Sean. I would lie <laughs> if I said, but you know, I, I'm in a relationship that's like so supportive. They are not trying to conquer me. They're not trying to compete with me. They're just, they just accept me for who I am. It's acceptance. It's like being aware of ourselves, accepting others for who they are, not judging, not trying to control. And you know, I have just such beauty in my family of choice. I have a daughter who's 20 years old. And, you know, the most important thing was being really conscious of some of the things that fucked me up. And like, say, I'm not repeating this behavior. When I have a child, my daughter, I'm not repeating that behavior. So it's consciousness of oneself. Like, what am I bringing to the table? What am I being triggered by? 100% focus on myself. That's what I do. Doesn't always work. I am sometimes Miss Looney Tunes, but you know, I <laughs> I don't get angry very much. And that's like such a relief. And I try not to take care of people too much, but I, you know, I'm definitely drawn to that. So we can have a private therapy session. You can therapize me and I'll therapize you, Sean. <laughs> well, this might be against what you're talking about right now, but I'm really interested. I want to ask you the stuff that I'm most interested in, honestly, like not like the, you know, the 101. So you're part of an, you know, an era that we, I, you know, like 1981 New York City, I personally, I, I don't, I, I don't think that the film like Downtown Eighty One is not is not like a big deal to me, but it just it just happens that that is like the iconic whatever. But like nineteen, I'm born in nineteen eighty four, and like I think of nineteen eighty one as like the year, just like so much like Love Goes to Buildings on Fire. I think, I think characterizes what I'm into more than like Downtown Eighty One, like late seventies, early eighties up until about 1986 is just like the greatest era of art making that I know of. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I was born in that period. And I, I just, you know, by osmosis, have, a, have an affinity for it. But I, I'm just, we have this phenomenon of, of nostalgia and looking back at things and, you know, thinking like, like I'm starting to, I'm 38 and I'm starting to experience it with like dance music. When dance music exploded in the, in the late 20, late 2000s, early 2010s, whatever, like I'm now hearing, you know, my brother who's 13 years younger than me, he talks about things that I was at and he, they're very different to him than they are to me. So I'm interested in like what your, 
you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what your mind goes to, but like, what was that period for you? Cause to me it is, Oh my God. Like every, you know, Oh, Michael Girard had this little fucked up, you know, place, but it was heaven, you know? And like, then, you know, I don't know. I still, Jesse Mallon's like the one guy who still holds the flag. And I just love hearing the stories. And I think about it as like, I fetishize it. I know I do, but what was it? Yeah. What was it like for you? What, was it the good old days or was it the bad old days or what? <laughs> no, they, it was a phenomenal period of time in New York City. Absolutely. Um, and I think I've let go of it a lot because I feel like I have, I mean, a lot of people are hanging on to that period of time because that's all they have. Like yeah. people who were part of it kind of have, a lot, of, I feel they've never moved on. And for me, I've done so much and, you know, work and, you know, been part of different communities that I kind of, that's such a small blip for me. It's like five years. I, I look at it as being from 78, maybe 77 to 82. Because in 82, 83, I kind of really went into my own, totally my own world, you know, very different and, and pursued uh, films of a different sort, but that period of time was a a place in New York City that so much the, the the landscape of the city reflected the psyche of the people who were coming there. So it was a wasteland. It was devastated. There was no support for the city. And in some ways, I feel like a lot of people came to New York City at that time who were just escaping their families. They were just like, let me get the fuck out of what this shit that I'm in. And New York City was just a bunch of misfits, outsiders, you know, people who didn't have a clue as to how to function. And in some ways we were able to like really come together in our rage, in our insanity, uh, in our extremes. Uh, to be able to scream at each other, to talk about politics, ideas, art, everything. It was kind of a, a very special time also in New York because, you know, there was nothing. Like below 14th Street, there was nothing. A bunch of rubble buildings, people, you know, what exists now didn't exist then. People would be, I'd walk out of my door and there'd be like, you know, there'd be like somebody with a, a needle stuck in their arm, passed out in the doorway. I'm like, okay. You know, you you get mugged down. The, I got mugged down the street two times. Um, you know, I talked about this a lot. I say that the difference between my brother and I. So I I was born in '84. So I went to Times Square when it was messed up. Still, like my grandma took me after school a lot. Like I, I went all the time. Like I knew what time when I watched Taxi Driver. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I I remember that. I still got it. Like in in the late '80s and early '90s, it was still messed up before Giuliani. You know, my brother the way that I say this is like the difference between my brother and I, and bless his heart. I love him very much. He never got mugged. Right. He never even had to think about getting mugged. <laughs> and I thought about get. I, I got mugged a few times that not, not nothing bad ever, but like I had to think about getting mugged constantly, yeah. you know, until I went to college, I yeah. thought about getting mugged. I still, when I walk on the street, I think it's called, I, I learned this later we exist in like condition orange, like uh -huh. not condition red, uh -huh. not like if someone gets close to you, you are, you, you put your hands up, but like, I'm 
every single person I, I clock every single person on the street. And that's a New York City thing. And my brother does not do that. He yeah. walks down the street with freedom, liberated from all violence and all consequence. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a very different time. And I think also, you know, we because some of us, not all of us, there were some who had trust funds, which I didn't even know what that was at the time. I was like, <laughs> and they were claiming poverty and all this. I was like, oh, you need to borrow money. Oh, okay. I give them money. You know. I was working in, you know, insane jobs as a waitress. Then I got an extraordinary job at uh, working as a, a phone receptionist, kind of the madam of a house of prostitution. Which Where? In New York City. One no, I mean, like, well, what neighborhood? Two places. One was near where I was going to school, which was great. It was East 24th Street, next to where... SVA was School of Visual Arts where I was going wow. to school and then another one was East 59th Street and that was the greatest education people would say why are you working there I'm like oh my god I'm learning so much about people. relationships <laughs> I'm like why are these young boys coming in here like young boys Hasidic Jews lawyers judges you know these men coming in half of them wanted to get beat up you know whips chains tied to the bed collars around their necks lick out it wasn't just neck. sex it was it was oh. fetish it was bdsm it was about it was, it was about kind of half and half at that time nobody i don't even think the word i don't even think bdsm even existed it was like the dominatrix oh they're coming for a dom session but i was on the phone luring them in and then i would by the way just to flag you made it an, an a classic video that uh, about dominatrix that became a club hit and everything you know? yeah the dominatrix exactly. well also g-man one of the earliest films first of all you know that was very much taken from my experiences working in that in that house okay i made recordings of the men they didn't know it i you know i filmed some of the women you know so that and that the reason i'm bringing it up is because i felt like there were no limits there was no sense of censorship there was no sense of career or success those words didn't exist at all it was just i have to do this there's a fire under my ass i gotta just do what i'm doing and i not there were there was nowhere to show it no one would show these films no one would you know and the art also that was at that period of time theater everything no one would show we would have to you know we'd show the films in lofts and that's what the other thing that was there was so much liberation at that time because the city, there was no money. We had no money. Like people would leave their doors open, the lofts in Soho. People, you know, you'd hear music. You'd, oh, let's go up there. You just like go up to someone's loft and they'd be doing a performance or they'd be just sitting around listening to music. There was this extraordinary freedom uh, it, within this landscape because it was not about money it was not about success it was not about any of those things you know media or any of that none of it existed at that time and i feel like as soon as attention money Times square show any you know ideas of like grants all that, as soon as that stuff started coming in for me not interested anymore because it went from content and you know my films have always been 
about content, political, social, emotional, you know, familiar, all that stuff. Well, that word has been deformed now. Now content, yeah. the way that you're using it, Absolutely. Don't use it that way. Absolutely. The way. Content now means yes. nonsense, you yes. know, that takes up space for attention. So know? give me another word, Sean. What would be another word? Uh, meaning. <laughs> meaning? What? Meaning? meaning. Thought-provoking? Thought okay, uh, thank you. I don't know. <laughs> meaning, thought-provoking. No, because, but it's also political, you know? Yeah, meaningful, like, yeah. resonant. Uh, I'm trying to not, you know, everyone, interesting and fascinating are the go-to words that people use <laughs> that, like, lost their meaning further. Like, it, basically, there's, like, the, you know, the the pop culture -y kind of people who want attention, who are, like, influencer who say content unironically, right. you know? And then there's the people that want to flag themselves as, you know, highbrow, and they don't. They've gotten. They've gotten word now that they can't say interesting. That interesting has become like a bad word, basically a meaningless word. So they say fascinating, and fascinating is like every it just every conversation. I hear fascinating. Just I don't know. My my grandma says terrific and wonderful, and and I like those a lot more than fascinating. She would never say fascinating, and. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to. The way that I look at this stuff is I challenge myself to not use one word. Like if I use one word, it often doesn't. And I know I can this can create, you know, tangents and whatnot. But what I mean is it's like it requ it, it requires creating that. Like you want to get across something to the other person. That's the point. So when you say, I want to make work with, you know, whatever X content. I will never use that word again, Sean, <laughs> but you know, it's so emblazoned in my brain. But what you're trying to accomplish is you're trying to impart to the other person what kind of work yes. is, 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 you know, is, is your intention, is, is your aim to make. Right. And. I don't know if there's a word that will sum up what that is because also you're you have to match up with the other person's vocabulary. Yeah. And and then that becomes a disconnect because you could say content to uh, one of your daughter's friends and they are going to I'm positive they are going to think you mean, you know, TikTok and stuff Exactly. Like that. No, That's you're there. right. You're right. I never thought about it. Okay. This is very good since I'll be <laughs> a metrograph having to like talk about my work and I'm like, okay, content, get that out of my head cuz I just did that. Anyways, so yeah, it's uh, it's all about, I get, I mean, well, if you're talking about that, for me, I'd say it's about edgy, thought-provoking ideas that people generally don't want to think about, especially- like weighty, like heavy, weighty is, is yeah. it would yeah. go with your stuff. Your, yeah. Every time you watch something that you're doing, it's challenging, it's, it's not, passive it's very active yeah 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 so what else sean we have about because i have to get, get you to have to go in, in five, I have yeah. about 10 minutes yeah one thing that's funny is i i won't say when but we're it's just for privacies but we're, we're going to dinner sometime in the next week and your pick your choice of restaurant is rather ironic because the, the current movement of what so what you <laughs> did 
a lot of kids are obsessed with today. And I don't know how in touch with it, with this you are, but like the, the reason why I referenced downtown 81 is because like the trendy cool kids of today, I, I personally don't think they're very cool, but <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't say it that way. I, I mean, I, what what's upsetting to me is they're not creating work that is like hitting people so yeah. it's just yeah. a scene it's just social right but that well, the version of that today sorry yeah well no i mean the reason i picked that restaurant is number one i don't live in new york anymore i don't have a clue as to that neighborhood so i asked a friend of mine i said well, i'm gonna tell you yeah i said where should we go and they were like oh well there's this place you know maybe we could go there it's not too expensive, la la la. And so I was like, okay, fine, we'll go there. I have n I don't know a thing about so it. And place. they took and they took reservations. <laughs> We're talking about dimes. And the whole movement is about Dimes Square. And okay. they call that area Dimes Square. Oh dear. And okay. All of those kids are obsessed with like the 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 milieu of downtown 81. They think oh. downtown 81 is like the, you know is like the holy grail of culture um so perfect perfect we're going there honey i've never been there i need to be initiated i've actually never eaten there either but it's so it's just so funny that i just when you sent me that i was like oh my god i was like i wonder she's i was like there's no way she could be aware of this paradigm because the way that i talk about it like i'm so, i'm a shit talker about all of this stuff like i'm very they they hate me like all that that community <laughs> I'm like, they hate me. They troll me. Like they well, have. I'll make f I'll make friends with them. No, they're they're <laughs> lovely. There's a lot of really nice people in it. I'm more of just like, I'm very outspoken, and they, I guess, they know what I think. So like, I, I'm just like, go make a good movie. You know, go make a good record. <laughs> like go like the reason you're comparing yourself to these 1981 people who. I mean, it is a laundry list of. There's books. There's treasure troves of huge artists that came out of that era and you know we're not in we're not experiencing that right now like what what's you know what's sad to me is like pandemic we all thought that and this is not about anything about young people of today this is everyone we all thought we were going to go get our quiet time and you know write our great american novel or that screenplay or you know come up with that big idea and we just did you know it just didn't work that way the the human eco you know, the human body for whatever reason, going inside and being in isolation didn't create great art. And for I think me it, it, for me, it did. I love that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. Productive. All right. Well, I mean, if you, th if you think of a a restaurant that would be kind of cooler in your in your no, world, I let me know. Want let me know. I need to be educated. But I did want to also say something, Sean about yeah. like this whole idea of community and New York City at that time in the late 70s, early 80s. In some ways, you know, because I don't find any of that, I haven't found any of that in a very long time. I mean, I did find there was an amazing community like in the mid 80s, uh, 90s, I found a, a whole different community that, you know, kind of blew up in New York City at that time, which was kind of the maybe the more transgressive, but also the bands were like Cop Shoot Cop and Unsane and 
you know, swans continued into that time. So I think that the new like, swans record coming, I'm very excited. Well, that's the band, that, you know, they did the soundtrack for Two Small Bodies and I'm hoping to do something with two people from that band um, in the near future, cool. short film. Um, we'll see if it happens. But, you know, there, so the late 70s, early 80s actually extended really into the 90s, through yeah. part of the 90s. And I, but since then I haven't, I've kind of been a little more sort of in my own world and raising my family and being, you know, so happy in that. But I have to say, when I went to Paris a few weeks ago and last summer, this last summer, when I went to a little place in Switzerland called La Chaux de Fonds, in those places, I found this artistic community that was fucking killer it wow. All right. and and they take a lot of the references are from that period of time in new york city but they're really cool. living they're living it sean they're living yeah. it and some of the people that you know i i showed films and, and did stuff in la chaux de fonds in switzerland they came to paris and then we met all these people who were also kind of like yeah we're gonna, and so it's out there i do believe but they're they're really those genuine people who kind of, they have nothing, so they've got nothing to lose. And they're not looking for fame and glory. And that's the difference, I think, with like a lot of the- I gym. completely agree. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like in this little town doing whatever they're doing. And I was like, holy, they discovered me. And then I was like, oh, I'm coming with you. We're going to do something. And now I think like in September, we're going to join Paris and La Chaux de Fonds. We're going to do something bigger but you know keeping that edge keeping that like kind of spontaneity between all the mediums and that's for me always been really important those mediums artistic mediums they talk to each other yeah and why do we keep them separate no that's how i describe what from what i my my knowledge of the period that is the thing that and and the the breaking of the walls with the infrastructure of new york city i mean i I'm I'm happy to hear you describe it because it is roughly my understanding of the period where like the infrastructure was gone, so the walls were broken down. So the music people talked to the film people, talked to the people who ran bars, talked to the people who you know produced tours, whatever, who wrote books, who performed spoken word, who danced, you know, choreographed, and they all worked together and made you know two small bodies. The choreography of two small bodies is as important of uh, any element in that movie you know and that is a skill set that i think that a lot of people you know wouldn't have connected to a work like that but but you had it because of all of those connections i'm so glad you say that i don't know that anybody has ever recognized that really uh critical element in the film and really yeah, no, and there's also there are two it's scenes. Huge choreography. The whole and thing is, is precisely it's choreographed. It's a dance. The camera and the bodies physically yes. moving in space yes. and the light. Yes, and that's why you know for me that film it was uh, very much bringing like the audience becomes that third party like a shark. They're kind of watching uh, this 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 interaction and this dance between these two characters um but there's this i i went even deeper into the choreography because in the beginning of the film 
there is one shot when the 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 cop Fred Ward, the policeman, come the authority figure comes in to interrogate the mother, wife in her home, and the camera just it's a very long shot and it keeps following one character the other character and you know and then when they come together and it, 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 there's i think very little hardly any cutting there and what i did was i shot it back to back at the towards the end of the film Susie Amos who plays the mother she flips the tables she flips everything upside down and she says sit down and she starts interrogating him it's the identical camera moves and physical moves of the two characters, but totally flipped opposite. So we we filmed them back to back cool. to have the same lighting, the same choreography, the same camera, but the characters were playing in a way opposite roles. And to right. me, you know, like that's the beauty of what you can do in film. And you don't see it very much these days because everybody wants to edit the shit. I mean, I love editing. I edit my films and it is just like, that's my best place when I'm in the editing room. But, you know, sometimes there's too much editing and you just have to let the actors play. Let the camera play. And it allows the audience in, I think, more emotionally. So thanks sure. thanks for seeing that and noting that. It's it's a beautiful film. It really Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was really happy to see it with an audience. Yeah. yeah. More yeah. people will see it with an audience this weekend. On a big screen at the Metrograph Theater. Come see our movies. They're really, yeah. they're pretty spectacular. And also the the um, the burlesque community, I didn't talk about that, but the burlesque community is represented in the opening night in the film Exposed. Dirty Martini yeah. and Tigger will be there with a oh, mod moderator, um, Michelle Handelman. And that film was my, after 10 years working in television, I actually went in and I, I directed, I, it, was, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And then it turned into a terrible experience because you know television just became a monster in itself. But I was in television directing and producing documentary hour long programs for 10 years and it was phenomenal. I got to choose my subjects, make the films I wanted to make, until I couldn't. And then I went back into the underground of New York City and I had to find, I wanted to make the most uncensored film with lots of vaginas and penises and people doing outrageous things. And the burlesque, there were certain performers in the burlesque community who were just, they're speaking about things, disability, body, gender, all of these things. I was like, oh my God, these are my people. They're still in New York. Just sometimes you got to dig deep go into those dark places to find them. So Friday night, 7 p.m. And all the other films will follow. All right, well, I'll post this quick so that people can, uh, so that we, we can spread word. And I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. And I'm very excited that, uh, that you'll be in New York and so well represented. Sean, you're fabulous. <laughs> you're, I fabulous. Say, you're fantastic, how's that? <laughs> Terrific, but you're you're you know to my heart. You are in my heart. Thank you so much. Appreciate. Well, I'm, it. I'm happy that I've gotten to know you over these last few years, and we didn't even talk about it, but we had the most wonderful Lydia lunch screening with your documentary uh, a couple years ago now, 
Um, and I was talking about it uh, actually yesterday. Someone brought up that they were at that uh, at that night, and they were talking about how the talk went longer than the movie. <laughs> that people just had the two of you there, and they were just there were about a hundred people in the room, and they just nobody left like like the two of you sat there you know all night like and the talk went for i don't even know how long but it was longer than the movie and it was just a wonderful like people were so excited to connect with the both of you and and it was it was a very cool thing so i'm happy i'm happy we got to do that and i'm happy we got to do this and i look forward to seeing you this weekend and yeah i'll be, I'll be at every, i will be at every screening yes i will awesome. Well, we look forward to it. Okay, see you see soon. You. Have a great flight. Thank you so much. Bye.